T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. This past week, presidential hopeful Joe Biden got a little more wind in his sails as he breezed through the Illinois primary Tuesday, as well as winning Florida and Arizona. Kim Fox won a tough battle to clear the first hurdle toward re-election as state's attorney, and there were some surprises for political dynasties and some new faces in good places. Imagine if everyone had voted. We'll talk about the political week that was this weekend. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. We're going to look back at some of the results and the lessons learned from last Tuesday's Illinois primary and look at the general election battles ahead. And it's a reporter's roundtable with two of my favorite political analysts. Andy Shaw was with us on primary night for our WBBM news radio broadcast. He's been our political analyst for years now. Some of you will remember Andy as the longtime political reporter for ABC7 here in Chicago. He was also the head of the Better Government Association for several years until his retirement. Yet he still seems to be working pretty darn hard. Uh, Heather Sharon is managing editor for The Daily Line. It's an online news organization that gets behind the headlines of city and county governments and the politics behind them. She covered City Hall for DNA Info until it folded and worked for the Chicago Tribune before that. She is part of that new breed of journalists who can make big data sing as well as write a really good story. Well, this week, for the first time on At Issue, we are practicing extreme social distancing because of concerns about coronavirus. I am anchoring this discussion from Chicago City Hall, and I should say we're recording this in case people wonder, why is he at City Hall now? Um, And uh, Andy Shaw is at his home in Michigan, and Heather comes to us from the wilds of the Northwest suburbs. Uh, We are all joined on Skype, and thanks to both of you for joining me. Happy to be here. Wonderful intro, Craig. What fun. (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, listen, let's talk about the the big, the marquee battle of Tuesday, and that was the presidential race. Andy, how important was this past Tuesday for Joe Biden? Well, with Ohio having canceled, he had a couple of other chances. He won Arizona. Ohio went back in play. So Joe Biden won all three and essentially clinched the nomination, not in terms of delegates yet, but momentum. It's pretty clear that Bernie Sanders can't catch him. And I think the only question now is, what is Bernie's endgame? And I'll, I'll answer a question you haven't asked yet. When we look, look ahead to November here in Illinois, if you go back four years, Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump 56-39 in Illinois. There's no reason to think that the numbers in the Biden-Trump race will be appreciably different. But I will point out that turnout 
in the presidential race this time was down more than 20%. And that, of course, is a reflection of people fearful to go out and vote in a primary many of us thought should never have been held. But the marquee race was pretty clear from the get-go. Biden led in the polls. The momentum is his. The nomination seems to be his, unless Heather disagrees. Well, and I want to ask, add on something to you to your uh, uh, agenda, uh, Heather, and that is that, you know, even in the Illinois primary, Bernie Sanders won at least one, if not two, Illinois counties. One of them was Champaign County, which is where the University of Illinois is, and that means young voters. And if uh, Joe Biden is to really have a chance of winning against Donald Trump. He's got to attract more young voters than have been voting lately. What could he possibly do to engender the kind of excitement that Bernie Sanders was doing there? I think that's Joe Biden's biggest challenge. And not only did uh, Bernie Sanders win Champaign County, he won the 35th award here in Chicago, which is home to a lot of millennials um, in Logan Square and parts of of Wicker Park. So I think that tells you where uh, Bernie Sanders' base in Illinois was, but it wasn't anywhere close enough to make it even a competitive race um, in Chicago. And I think we we saw... uh, Joe Biden takes steps to uh, address that. Um, he said this week that he would adopt Elizabeth Warren's bankruptcy changes to um, give people more relief when they have to declare bankruptcy. And we also saw him embrace um, and a, a student loan debt forgiveness plan that had been uh, backed by Bernie Sanders. So I think that if he were listening to this, he'd probably agree with, with our analysis of what faces him. I think the big question is, is whether those young people who might be smarting from Bernie Sanders' loss, whether they, of course, vote in November, or does Biden manage to pull more moderate Republicans who may have voted for Trump in 2016 or simply didn't vote at all, and maybe they come out this time around. So that is really what the November election is going to turn on, at least in terms of the presidency in Chicago and Illinois. And and let me add one thing to that, Heather, which is that Bernie Sanders is the key factor in much of this. If Bernie Sanders embraces the Biden candidacy in a way that he didn't embrace the Hillary Clinton candidacy, that could make a big difference because we've seen that the rest of the Democratic presidential primary field has coalesced around Joe Biden. And if Bernie Sanders does the same thing and energetically campaigns for Biden, he'll be joined by Barack Obama and Michelle Obama and probably Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. That is a formidable group of people. The key, of course, is Bernie Sanders himself. And if he can be enthusiastic about a Biden candidacy, despite the wounds of defeat, then I think that makes a big difference. And we should point out that Bernie Sanders probably would have done a lot better in Illinois had so many of these university campuses not closed down because of the virus. With all those campuses not operating, a lot of millennials and young students really didn't have an easy way to vote as they would have had on campus. So Sanders probably would have done better had it been a normal election. But now the the onus is really on him. If he wants to defeat Trump, and he's called Trump the 
the, the gravest danger to America in presidential history. If he actually believes that, then he will really get behind Joe Biden, work hard for him, encourage all of his young supporters to come out. And I think that will be significant come November if, in fact, we can have an election in November. And, uh, you know, as an old guy watching this virus play out, uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And, and, you know, the virus, I think, is one of the factors that we have to add in here. It is going to be a player in the election. Uh, If for no other reason than the president is going to be taking action uh, or, in some cases, as people would say, not acting uh, in the face of what's going on. But... I mean, who does that who does that help that he is still in the position to be presidential if he wants to be? And it's also going to tone down the campaigning. We're not going to see the big rallies, at least not for a while. Well, I think the polls have suggested that uh, Americans have not been reassured by his handling of the crisis thus far, although in the last week or so he has seemed much more presidential. It's hard to predict how it's going to play out. We are living through what is similar to a wartime situation. It's not a war from, from without, it's a war from within. And in those times, people tend to rally around the chief executive if the chief executive shows mature leadership. And I would argue that Trump has been erratic on that front. So I think it's too early to tell how it's all gonna play out. This is uncharted water. He's lost all of the stock market gains from his three years. Unemployment is going to skyrocket. And all of the things that gave him an advantage one month ago have disappeared. So it's very hard to tell how it's all going to play out. No one's going to have rallies for the foreseeable future. Fundraising will be impacted. This could be a presidential election, unlike any we've seen in our lifetimes. We don't go back to World War II um, as old as I am, I don't go back that far, and we don't know where it's all going to end up. Well, I do want to move uh, on a little bit to the local elections because we had maybe a little bit more than we normally did with uh, some really interesting races. But the marquee race here locally was the re- the election or the primary for Cook County State's Attorney. <laughs> Kim Fox uh, braved some headwinds to uh, come to a resounding victory. But uh, Heather Sharon, uh, most of the opposition to her uh, swirled around Jussie Smollett and, and his fall, what ended up being a false report of a hate crime. Uh, she downplayed it and said it was mostly smoke with no fire. How is that going to hold up as she moves forward and takes on, uh, you know, a a determined Republican challenger in uh, Pat O'Brien? Well, what I thought was interesting about the results of the state's attorney race was that she managed to just cross that 50% mark of the voters. And that, I think, indicates that her support was, I think, stronger than most analysts would have expected. And it meant that since her base was together, uh, the three challengers, even though she was outspent by one of them, Bill Conway, that they couldn't really sort of get any uh, foothold in and find a way to win the primary. Uh, Now, certainly the Chicago and the Cook County Republican Party are excited to have uh, Pat O'Brien take her on in November. But the state of both the Chicago and 
the Cook County Republican Party, which I remind you only has two people in countywide elected office at this point, uh, is, will, faces huge headwinds in trying to get um, their candidate um, any sort of attention against Kim Fox. And I think this election or this primary re results will give her an opportunity to say, well, the voters already spoke on that. Let's move past it. However, the big unknown is what Dan Webb, the special prosecutor who is still looking into how her office handled the Jesse Smollett case, what his results are. If he comes out with a finding that 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 is negative about Kim Fox or how she handled the investigation, then I think all bets are off and, and we're, we're, we're in a free for all. But uh, if that happens, I think we have to, you know, otherwise assume, uh, you know, that uh, the Democratic candidate in most of these elections are, are, are probably well situated to win again in November. Andy and let Shaw. me add to that, if I may, that I think this is going to come down to a fight between Pat O'Brien, who is going to argue that Kim Fox cares more about defendants than the victims of crime, and Fox, who's going to claim that she's been tough on crime, but also understanding of the racial nature of the criminal justice system, the unfairness of the bail system and the disproportionate number of, of low-income minority people who end up in jail many times under questionable circumstances. And so I think we're going to have a, an election that has a very significant racial overtone and that could get ugly. I hope it doesn't. But I think that if Pat O'Brien is well-funded and crafts a message of, um, you know, protecting the victims of crime in a city, in a county where the murder rate and the crime rate's been very high until the last year or so, I think he has the potential to run a strong campaign. I think this will be an interesting race. Dollars will have a lot to do with it. And we'll see how many of those Republican dollars get behind Pat O'Brien, because without money, he's not going to have much of a chance. Kim Fox will have a strong fundraising machine and the support of the Democratic establishment. And so it could be an interesting race. And O'Brien could make it very competitive in the way that Jack O'Malley and Jim O'Grady, a couple Republicans from your and my past, Craig, um, <laughs> actually won Cook County races against the odds. It's it's an uphill battle, but not insurmountable. Yeah, and I think uh, that one of the other factors that's going to come up here is that as she did in her uh, speech accepting or, or claiming victory, Kim Fox can point to the fact that most of the people who are the victims of the kind of violence that really scares people have also been African-American, and that's where her base is. And so if people see her as caring about the victims of crime, she's certainly going to be thinking more about those people uh, who have been questioning her about what she's going to do. I, I want to... Uh, Turn to another race uh, in just a second, but I should remind listeners that you're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is a post-primary roundtable with WBBM political analyst Andy Shaw, who's also former head of the uh, VGA, and Heather Sharon, the managing editor of The Daily Line. And we are recording this via Skype with uh, Andy in Michigan, uh, Heather in the northwest suburbs, and me at City Hall. Uh, one of the other races that had headlines before it was even a race was uh, the seat for Cook County Circuit Court Clerk, 
Dorothy Brown is not did not run again, and it was a four-way race among I would think four relative unknowns. Uh, and uh, uh, Iris Martinez is the one who won that. Um, what did you see was the biggest factor in play there, uh, Heather? Well, what was interesting was that Iris Martinez was one of several women who ran the table on Tuesday's elections from the Cook County Court Judicial Subcircuit races all the way up to the Illinois House and the Illinois Senate. So um, she ran without the backing of the Cook County Democratic Party against a much better funded rival, Michael Cabanargi, who's on the Cook County Board of Review at this moment. And she was able to capitalize um, on a desire of voters, I think, to see more women in office. She will be again, she'll be the only Latina in Cook County elected office. Um, and there isn't one right now uh, since the the forced retirement of former assessor Joe Barrios, who lost his seat uh, two years ago. Um, and I think she really capitalized on a sense that the, uh, you know, Cook County Democratic Party um, has some real issues with corruption. And of course, uh, you know, Joe Barrios was certainly part of those allegations. And uh, she really ran a campaign where she emphasized her outsider status, even though, of course, she is a member of the Illinois Senate and uh, her victory will set off, I'm sure, another round of musical chairs as politicians scramble to replace her. Um, she also won a second office on the uh, in Tuesday's election. She is also now the 33rd Ward committee person. So now she will have a say in how that Cook County Democratic Party that refused to back her is operated in the coming months. And let me add that uh, Heather alluded to what I consider to be the two most interesting factors in this election. Now, we talked about turnout. It was down almost 40% in Cook County, which explains a lot of the results. But two things were fascinating. Heather's correct. This was the election empowering women. It wasn't just Kim Fox. It was Marie Newman beating Dan Lipinski, Iris Martinez winning her race, Margaret Croak beating Yoni Pizer in that 12th district, the legislative race, Jeannie Ives winning a, a, pres, a Republican primary for the for uh, Congress. It was a big night for women, but it was also a big night of defeat for the Democratic establishment. And let's look at how that played out. Lipinski lost. He's a longtime machine stalwart. Ed Burke lost his ward committeeman race. It's a nominal position, but that's a shocking upset to Aaron Ortiz. Um, Martinez won. She beat the party regular uh, Carbonargi. And I think those are the sorts of things that are really significant. It, here's the irony. Democratic leaders wanted to have this primary. Many people wanted to postpone it. I thought it should be postponed. But the party wanted to go forward thinking that low turnout would help them. Low turnout actually hurt many of their candidates, including... Lipinski and Burke and Carbonargi. And so when the dust clears, it's not only a huge night for women, it's a huge night for the fight to eventually overtake that Democratic machine because the Madigan machine performed poorly. Iris Martinez won Madigan's 13th Ward against a party-endorsed hmm. candidate, Michael Carbonargi. So we haven't paid much attention to this because we're so focused on the virus and the handling of that. But when we begin to really 
parse the politics of election night, in addition to the beautiful night for women candidates, we also see the machine taking some huge hits, which could redound to major decisions down the road. It could be very significant moving forward toward November and beyond that. And I think Heather, uh, Heather mentioned this, and I think it's, it, it is a key. I think the issues of the uh, willing or the desire to overcome the machine and the moving toward more female candidates are inextricably linked. I, I think a lot of people look at women lawmakers, women elected officials, as somewhat more trustworthy than the men. And it's not just about the Me Too stuff. I think you haven't had a lot of female political figures uh, being caught with their hands in the cookie jar as often as the, you have with the men. And I, I, I am not... I don't believe that it was an accident that uh, people seem to more gravitate toward the female candidates. Um, Well, there's certainly been a desire for new candidates and fresh faces and not the same old people that we see on the ballot um, every time around. And I think that a lot of people benefited from that. Even when the party apparatus tried really hard, uh, in a sense, to put their thumb on the scale, and I think there's no better example of that than the 12th district race for the Illinois House, where the party appointed Yanni Pizer to the seat he was running for just a couple of weeks before Election Day, only to see him lose it to Margaret Crokey, um, who took her name out of the running for that appointed seat. So I think you'll see a big move to change the way... uh, vacant Illinois House and Senate seats are filled. There's been a lot of sort of talk about corruption involving uh, Louis Arroyo in the third district. So I, I am keeping my eye on those rules because that has been a source of frustration and consternation uh, among good government reformers for quite a while now. And, you know, if it weren't for the uh, overwhelming media coverage of the virus, I would say that what Heather's just described and what I talked about is really going to be a template moving forward. Lori Lightfoot's election, remember, she I appointed her to a seat on the BGA board. Can you imagine a mayor of Chicago who comes from the Better <laughs> Government Association? Well, but to me, it wasn't that was incidental. It's the message that gets sent when she beats all of these better known candidates, at least earlier. And then you have Newman winning and Martinez winning and Aaron Ortiz winning. And what you're really seeing, I think, led in part by millennials, but also people fed up with the organization, is a bit of a mini revolution in Illinois politics. And I think it's an incredible moment for change. And I'd be much more optimistic about the pace of change if we weren't all consumed with something much more compelling. But I think when we get past this and we can resume a semblance of normal life and we parse this election and look at the meanings, and Heather's alluded to big parts of it, I have, you have, Craig, this, we're seeing a sea change in Illinois politics and the corruption probe has not played out completely. There are still a number of indictments ahead. And when we ever begin to refocus on politics and Illinois and Chicago and Cook County, we're going to see that this is a seminal moment or could be a seminal moment, could be overshadowed by the virus. But for people paying attention to this, I think 
for people like me who spend a lot of years in the reform work at the BGA, this is a really wonderful moment with a great opportunity. Well, let me ask a couple of questions about a couple of other races, these for Congress, because our headline races in the uh, fall are going to be probably out in the western suburbs. Uh, first, uh, Lauren Underwood, who is the current congresswoman the, uh, from Naperville. She's a freshman. She is now going to take on uh, Republican Jim Oberweiss, uh, actually, I think uh, she probably, if she had to have picked which candidate she wanted to run against, that uh, he probably would have been the one because of how conservative he is. But, indeed, he's better known than some of the others. Um, Andy, what do you think of that matchup? What do you think the over and the under is going to be on that one, Craig? <laughs> you know, I think, especially with a health crisis underway, having someone who's a nurse running for election, I think is going to be a, is a strong one in her favor. But, uh, but I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist the over and the under. But <laughs> no, that's all I meant. It's you know the yeah. over and the under and all the sports betting. Look, uh, Jim Oberweiss has an uphill battle. Lauren Underwood, you know, won a major upset out there, and I think that she's going to be hard to unseat. But he's got a lot of money, and he's a tough candidate. Jeannie Ives is going to run a similar race against Sean Caston. I'll let Heather do the handicapping on those because she follows them more closely. But I will say that we will look, we'll watch those closely. I think both of them, Ives and Oberweiss, have uphill battles because they're such conservative Republicans and their opponents, I think, have more moderate values at a time when that might be more popular. But please correct me if I'm wrong, Heather. Oh, I don't think you are. Uh, the uh, races with um, between Underwood and Oberweiss and Kasten and Jeannie Ives in the 6th Congressional District, I think, are, again, bellwether races that will determine whether the Democrats keep control of the United, House, United States House of Representatives. They flipped those seats from red to blue two years ago, and whether they're able to hang on to those seats, I think, will go a long way into determining whether uh, Nancy Pelosi remains as Speaker of the House. Uh, what's interesting about both of those races is that both Oberweiss and Ives come from the very, very conservative wing of the Illinois GOP. Uh, Jeannie Ives, of course, you know, gave Bruce Rauner a run for his money in the gubernatorial primary um, last year. Um, and Jim Oberweiss was, uh, I like to think of him as Donald Trump on immigration issues before Donald Trump was on immigration issues. So so um, they both Sean Caston and Lauren Underwoods have ready made, uh, um, you know, attack ads in place. And as and and, uh, you know, all of the polling that I have seen that shows that, you know, if anything, Donald Trump's approval ratings in those suburbs have gone has gone down in the last two years rather than rebounding. And I think that uh, if either of those candidates is going to be a success, it's going to have to come at the heels of a stellar performance uh, for, for, of Donald Trump for president, because both candidates have aligned themselves very solidly with Donald Trump. And in fact, uh, this is a, something I raised on election night, was that uh, Jim Oberweiss ran a much-criticized uh, commercial uh, about immigration when he first ran for the U.S. Senate in a race that ended up with uh, Barack Obama uh, actually getting the uh, nomination. 
But when he did that, after the criticism, he apologized for the ad and said he thought it overstated things. Well, he ran an ad in this current campaign that basically said it ran that commercial again. It ran part of that commercial and said, I was right then and I'm right now. So he's back. He, he doubled down on the commercial for his present campaign, and he won. So we'll have to see if things are changing in the western suburbs more than it looks. But uh, I think we're going to have a pretty interesting summer, but I'm not sure that the top story isn't still going to be coronavirus. Uh, I think that's very possible, Craig. And, and Andy, we have just the 30 seconds left. Do you think we'll be out from under coronavirus by November? I can only reflect on all the things I've read and heard, which is we'll have a break as the weather warms and we should have a, a more relaxed summer, perhaps, but that we could get round two in the fall as the weather uh, chills. We're looking for a toxin. We're looking for some sort of a, a cure, some, some sort of medication that will you know, attack the virus. Will we have one in the next few months? Unlikely. I don't know what to say. I mean, this is these are such uncharted waters and even though we've made our we've we've analyzed the election and the look ahead, I think none of us can say where it's all going to end up until we see what happens with the virus and the news coverage of it. And we will be watching all of that. That's the final word. Thank you, Heather Sharon of the Daily Line, political analyst and good government advocate Andy Shaw. Thank you very much. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, WBBMNewsRadio.com. Just follow the podcast links. You can always also follow our podcast on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. T Mobile.com.